Dimelang Avusheni and hello hi Msanzi Nolutandu Ngakani here and welcome back to Sisters Without Shame, a no holds barred podcast that is proudly brought to you by Health for Mzanzi. I am here to walk with you on your health journey as you seek the answers to those weird lumps and pussy bumps you are too scared to speak of in public. This podcast is a safe space. An important voice note came into our mailbox all the way from Durban. Our friend in crisis shares how she found out that she was having a stroke. I don't remember when my stroke happened. I must have been asleep. The one thing I think I can pinpoint maybe, I thought I'd fallen asleep. But my husband came in the room and said that I was just laying there. I don't remember anything before me asking why he woke me up. The most stuff I've read, the people have felt something or knew about it. I only went to casualty because I also found out recently that I have lupus. None of my doctors could see me the same day. I knew something was wrong. I had no clue it was a stroke. This week, our guest is Dr. Patty Francis, who is the current president of the Neurological Association of South Africa. She has a special interest in stroke treatment and is part of an acute stroke service at Mshanga Hospital. Her other special interests are headaches, MS, Parkinson's, and dementia. Dr. Patty, what is a stroke and what are the causes and how can you identify when you're having a stroke? For many years, we were hoping that the idea of a stroke being a brain attack, like a heart attack is synonymous with an emergency related to the heart. We were hoping that the notion of brain attack would catch on so that people would become immediately aware that a stroke is a brain emergency. But due to a number of reasons that label didn't catch on, and possibly with the burgeoning of mental illness, probably isn't the kindest or easiest to understand when we say that it's a brain attack. So but basically, that's what a stroke is. It's a sudden vascular problem within the brain, which causes a sudden loss of function. And if it's not appropriately and timelessly treated, that loss of function can become permanent and in the worst case scenario can result in death. So basically a stroke is a sudden vascular event resulting in loss of function due to this vascular damage in the brain. Watching people have strokes through things like the media and stuff like that, they always say that they smell burnt toast. Is it really like that? Not at all. There is no aura The smell of burnt toast is a sensory aura, and there really is no aura of a sensory abnormality like that associated with an impending stroke. There is no burnt toast aura warning you I'm about to have a stroke. What are the different types of stroke? We go into the second part of that question. So just to take a step back and come into the answer to that question, there are primarily certain blood vessels that supply certain areas of the brain And those brain areas are associated with what we term eloquent functions. For example, many people are aware that the left side of the brain is eloquent 
or dominant for talking. So the comprehension of the spoken word and the expression of the spoken word is mainly dominant in the left hemisphere. So if there is a clot in the blood vessel that is supplying that left hemisphere for speech, then a clot in that blood vessel is going to block off the supply and cause that area to be robbed of blood, robbed of oxygen. Those brain cells are going to die and that person is going to lose speech completely or partially, depending on how many brain cells will die in that time frame. So the commonest type of stroke is the type associated with a clot within a blood vessel, and that is referred to as an ischemic stroke. Approximately 80 to 85% of strokes are due to clots within specific blood vessels, and the loss of function that is manifest depends on what that blood vessel is supplying. And the remaining 15 to 20% are due to hemorrhages where the blood vessel ruptures or bursts and blood leaks out. And there's a direct pressure on the brain cells where that clot, that leakage of blood is now pressing on those brain cells, as well as that blood vessel is now ruptured and is not supplying flow appropriately to its destination area. So it's ischemic 80 to 85% and hemorrhagic 15 to 20%. Dr. Petty, what is the impact of your diet on the probability or the chances of you having a stroke? So the commonest cause of stroke throughout the world is hypertension, high blood pressure. And high blood pressure at certain elevations can cause hemorrhage or more chronically without those catastrophic elevations at moderately elevated levels, it silently causes damage to blood vessels, which eventually over time will result in ischemic strokes. Now, with respect to hypertension, diet does play a role. You would have heard many times about the impact of salt on blood pressure. Additionally, elevated cholesterol can have a role to play and there's a dietary contribution to elevations in cholesterol, although it's not the exclusive cause. There are genetic factors as well. And that's why people are treated with statins together with dietary modifications for cholesterol lowering. Diabetes is also an additional risk factor. And there is an epidemic of type 2 diabetes throughout the world due to the obesity related to the middle, the abdominal girth. So people have insulin resistance and their sugars are elevated, et cetera. And their blood vessels also, the small blood vessels within the brain also get damaged due to the chronic elevations in blood sugar levels. And that also predisposes to stroke. And then there are more unusual causes due to some genetic factors where there's special dietary modifications that are needed. But the common ones with respect to diet are diabetes, cholesterol, and triglycerides, which is the less famous fat, but it's also a fat that can contribute to blood vessel occlusion. And then the salt with respect to hypertension, which is the really head and shoulders above all other causes. It's the leading cause of stroke worldwide. Well, I have a distant family member. She was 11 when she had a stroke. What would cause a child that young to actually get a stroke? 
She was a normal weight. She was perfectly healthy. And then just this one a sudden attack on the vessels and stuff in the brain. What would even cause a child to get a stroke that young? So the other broad category of causes of stroke, barring hypertension, barring the other metabolic factors for which you asked about the dietary contribution, the other big broad category of cause of stroke is cardiac. In children and in younger adults, they have either problems with the valves of the heart or they are born with certain cardiac abnormalities, structural abnormalities in the heart. If they have this condition called rheumatic fever, they can have on the valves of their heart certain abnormalities called vegetations, and those as a broad category can contribute to stroke. They also can have holes within the scaffolding of the heart, within the structure of the heart. They can have different types of holes through which clots can pass. So they can have an ASD or a VSD or even something called a PFO. And um, I'm not sure if you're familiar, fairly recently in 2022, Haley Bieber, Justin Bieber's wife, was found to have a PFO in her heart. And then there was a lot of media attention on what is a PFO and what does it cause. So in pediatrics, it's usually a cardiac structural abnormality or a valve abnormality that would predispose to stroke. And there's also the broad category of infections. There are many infections in all age groups, such as TB, HIV, syphilis, and other infections that can also predispose to strokes. And there's the clotting abnormalities like sickle cell anemia. Those can also predispose. Let's talk about symptoms. Why can't some victims identify stroke symptoms? So stroke, unlike a heart attack, is in the majority of patients, the 80 to 85 that are ischemic, stroke is a painless process. So there is an acronym that has been developed by the World Stroke Organization called FAST, F-A-S-T, and we have modified it to make it into BFAST. So I'll go through the FAST first. F refers to a facial droop or a facial asymmetry. A refers to an arm droop or a weakness in the arm. S refers to an abnormality of speech. And T stands for time. Time is of the essence. We've added the B and the E. The B stands for balance, any change in balance or any feeling of imbalance. And E stands for eyes, any blurring of vision any double vision, any drooping of an eyelid, any aberration in anything to do with the eyes or the visual system. So if you yourself sitting there right now, if you felt your right or left arm start to tingle or feel a bit funny, what are you going to do? You're going to shake it. You're going to shake it around a little bit. You're going to pump it a little bit in your hand. And you're going to think, "Mm, I wonder what this is. You know, it must be I've been sitting funny or maybe because I was driving or maybe because I slept on it. If you feel like while we're talking, you're having a little bit of difficulty finding the right word to engage with me, you're probably going to think maybe I'm tired. Maybe I was too stressed waiting for Dr. Francis. You're going to think, I just need another coffee. As soon as we're finished, I'm going to have another quick coffee and see whether my mind clears. It's very unusual for a person who starts 
feeling a tingle in their hand or feeling a bit of loss of their words in their mind or uttering it through their mouth to think, oh my goodness, I'm probably having a stroke. But that's the message we want to get across. Think stroke first, rather than think all the lesser stuff first. And then only when it doesn't get better, a few hours later, then somebody says, you know what, maybe you're having a stroke. So it's because it's painless. It's because it has a number of manifestations, not a single manifestation. It could be balance, it could be eyesight, it could be speech, it could be facial droop, it could be arm droop, it could be leg droop, it could be just a sensation of swaying or feeling drunk. Because it has so many different manifestations that people always dismiss it as, I'm probably tired. It's only astute observer who's looking at your face that says, uh-uh, one side of your mouth is not looking right. I'm taking you to casualty now. This could be a stroke. Let's talk about treatment. How are strokes treated and can stroke patients ever fully recover? There's the acute treatment, which can be administered if the patient arrives at a stroke-ready center on time. And I'll explain that to you now. And then there's the subacute treatment, and then there's the long term. Obviously, treatment of the risk factors like hypertension, like diabetes, like elevated cholesterol, like cardiac issues, that treatment is primary prevention. So first prize is treat all the risk factors adequately and optimally. Many, many patients are on blood pressure treatment, but their blood pressure is not at therapeutic goal. Many patients are on diabetes treatment, but their sugar levels are not within the therapeutic goal range. Lots of people are quite happy to run at a sugar level of 10. That is still way too high. Same with lipids. People are taking their statin maybe three times a week for various reasons, various bad press that the statins have received, and their lipids are not within therapeutic goal range. So they're doing something, but they're not doing enough to keep those blood vessels healthy throughout the body and prevent strokes. So first prize is primary prevention. And say the person has done their best, but in spite of that, they develop symptoms of a stroke. They need to drop everything, their persons around them, whether it's their work colleagues, their family members, their next door neighbors, they need to drop everything and get them immediately to the nearest stroke ready center. There is a statistic that says for every minute of cutting off of the blood supply to a respective area of the brain, 2 million brain cells will die. So for that clot that's sitting in that blood vessel, downstream of it for every minute, 2 million brain cells are dying. There is a way of dissolving that clot within that blood vessel or extracting that clot from that blood vessel. The ability to dissolve it or extract it depends on how soon after the onset of the symptoms the patient can be attended to. The clot will harden over a certain period of time and will not be possible to be dissolved fully or will be harder to extract if it becomes hard and it becomes organized and it becomes bound to the blood vessel. Attempting to dissolve it will be futile and attempting to extract it 
might actually be dangerous and cause damage to that blood vessel. But more importantly, if that clot has been sitting in that blood vessel for X number of hours or days, you can do the calculation of how many brain cells have died. And even though one can adequately do the plumbing and clear up that vessel and restore flow, you're restoring flow to an area that is largely dead and you cannot reverse the loss of function. So the research has shown us that dissolving clots within four and a half to six hours is the optimal period to do it safely and to do it with the possibility of recovering function appropriately. There are some studies that now show that up to 24 hours, one can safely mechanically remove that clot. But I think it's still a moot point as to whether function can be restored to the individual, even though one can safely complete the technical aspects of the procedure, how much function can you give back to that patient? So the absolute buzzword in the field of stroke care is time is brain, act fast. Get to your nearest stroke-ready hospital immediately. Don't even wait for the four and a half hours and six hours. Sometimes people misunderstand that. And they think, oh, you know, it's only one hour now. I still got three hours to go. No, 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 no. That's the window for safe intervention. You need to get there as quickly as possible to save your neurons. Time is really of the essence. Dr. Patty, can you tell us, do you have to have any other conditions that make having another stroke more likely? What can people do to reduce their risks of having a stroke? As we mentioned early on in this conversation, there are the common causes. There's hypertension, diabetes, cholesterol, obesity. Body mass index is a big factor. So it's important for people to know what is their healthy body weight. We're not talking about aesthetics and appearance, but in terms of their health, each individual should find out what is their healthy body weight and strive to be within those parameters. So there are those medical risk factors. There are the cardiac risk factors. We've talked about the younger age group, the structural and the valvular abnormalities. Then with respect to cardiac risk factors, there's also a cardiac arrhythmia called atrial fibrillation. More and more research has shown that atrial fibrillation is common in many people over the age of 40 and they're unaware of it. And there is a statistic that says that one in four people with atrial fibrillation will have a stroke in their lifetime. That's 25% of people who have this cardiac arrhythmia that many of them don't even know that they have it. So to screen with one's general practitioner by means of an ECG to see if there's any evidence of a cardiac arrhythmia is an important good health step to take. And then, of course, are the lifestyle factors. With regards to BMI, there is the factor of exercise. It is now beyond any shadow of doubt that for most medical ailments, not just strokes, not just heart attacks, but even for things like Parkinson's disease and Alzheimer's disease, exercise is mandatory. So to commence a supervised structured exercise program is a good idea. We don't want to advise people to go wild. If a person is diabetic, has got elevated cholesterol and has got hypertension, 
we don't want you to start running the Comrades Marathon. You need to have a good thorough checkup, have an evaluation by a biokineticist or a physiotherapist or a sports medicine doctor. Have someone give you the once over and say, this is how you can start safely your exercise program. Cigarette smoking is a massive risk factor for stroke, massive risk factor for heart attack, has a whole host of complications related to cancer. Even patients with multiple sclerosis are more at risk for disability due to cigarette smoking. There is no cutting down, there is no vaping, there is no e-cigarette. The simple message is please stop smoking. Stop immediately, not in January with your resolutions. Stop now, please. And interestingly enough, there is also evidence that alcohol can also predispose to strokes. So we would very much like to give a simple message, not you can have one glass of red wine and you can have this and that. There was some research that showed a glass of red wine might be protective to the heart because it might have some component in it that can reduce cholesterol, etc. Alcohol doesn't have any beneficial effects on the brain. So please stop smoking and stop drinking immediately. Hey, Dr. Pat, it's going to be tough because we're headed for December, you know, South Africans, and then later in December, it's going to be a tough I know, one. But you know, people are also very susceptible in a good way. I don't mean gullible, but they're very susceptible and amenable to influencers. And you're an influencer. So use your platform, make it cool to have mocktails. Of course, we can try. <laughs> We are a country of groovists or whatever they call it on the internet. (laughs) I know. Thank you so much, Dr. Patty. The person who had requested the interview had mentioned that she'd had a stroke and she had been diagnosed with lupus and she had antiphospholipid syndrome. Mm -hmm. I do want to make that one important point. There are these autoimmune conditions like lupus and antiphospholipid syndrome which in and of themselves have a risk for stroke, either due to the natural propensity to form clots within blood vessels, but particularly because the individuals with these conditions are often unaware that they have it until it announces itself in some way. And it's females that have these conditions more commonly And when they go onto the oral contraceptive pill, that combination of the oral contraceptive pill plus lupus or antiphospholipid syndrome or pregnancy plus lupus or antiphospholipid syndrome causes, it tips the balance. It creates the milieu for them to have a stroke. And that's the other message I would like to spread is if a woman is wanting to go onto the oral contraceptive pill, she would dig a little deep into her family tree and look for any of these risk factors. And you know, as easily as men do a blood test for their PSA to check their prostate or whatever, I really think for a woman to know her body a bit better and maybe even do a blood test to test if she's got something like a positive ANF would be a very good step in the right direction to say, I'm going onto the poll. I just want to check what could be my risks of complications 
and I would like to do that blood test. It's not overkill. I have a number of female patients. I had one young lady who was 18 years old, and she did not know that she carried this lupus predisposition. And she went onto the pill, and a week later, she had a stroke. She was fortunate. She came to a stroke-ready hospital, which was ours. She got good care on time, but she did leave with a minor disability. So although we can do a lot, we can restore someone to as near normal as possible, but never to 100% to their pre-stroke potential. So I think it's important for women to be aware that the oral contraceptive pill in a certain milieu does carry a stroke risk. So be forewarned, be forearmed, check yourself before you take the pill. Thank you for joining this week's episode of Sisters Without Shame, Dr. Patty. If you're looking for more answers on strokes, visit healthformzanzi.co.za. And remember, dear friends, if you are in a medical bind and looking for a shoulder to cry on, you can send an email to hello at healthformzanzi.co.za. Alternatively, you can send us a WhatsApp on 076-132-0454. I would never blue tick you, babes. Recovery time after stroke is different for everyone. It takes weeks, months, or even years. Some people recover fully, but others have long-term or lifelong disabilities. Dr. Patty stressed the importance of urgency when you suspect that you are having a stroke. Be fast, Mzanzi. That brings us to the end of episode 66 of Sisters Without Shame, proudly brought to you by Health for Mzanzi. From me, Lulu Ngakani, have a great week, and remember to show your girl some love by sharing this podcast with a friend.